I think most people find that they won't lose any milk, but will gain condition and other things, hopefully hold on to more pregnancies, less embryonic loss. And then that gives people confidence to kind of give it a crack. And I think we'll retain more staff and even um, hopefully pull people from uh, other industries. Kia ora and welcome to Talking Dairy, where we dive into the most important topics on the minds of New Zealand dairy farmers. One of the biggest challenges facing the dairy sector today is our need to attract and hold on to good staff. Early starts and long days can be off-putting for those considering a career in dairying and can also contribute to burnout among those already in the industry. But what if we can reduce the number of milkings in a week and or change the timing of milkings which would free up time for other jobs on the farm and improve that highly sought after work-life balance? Would that make a difference? One farmer who's gone to a flexible milking schedule is John Totty, who runs a thousand cows over two adjacent properties in the foothills near Methven, Canterbury. John's starting his second full season of milking 10 times in seven days. What were John's reasons for changing his milking schedule? And now that he's well into the routine, what kind of outcomes is he seeing for himself, his five staff, his herd health, production and revenue? Is it paying off? Let's find out. Thanks so much for yeah, giving up your time to come on the podcast. It's re- really good of you. Nah, no worries. How did you get involved in the DRNZ Flexible Milking research, John? Um, I was at one of the Lincoln days on flexible milking and a whole lot of other stuff, and Paul was having a talk about it, uh, Paul Edwards, and uh, I just went over and said I was quite interested to, uh, about the farmlets they had been doing on Lincoln and uh, if they did run a trial that'll be keen to be part of it or at least get updated as they went with it so then he contacted me and asked me if I wanted to be uh, part of it. What were your motivations? Were you having problems at the time that you wanted to solve or did you just hear about it and think actually this could be worth a crack? Um, bit of both. My very first season back stopped raining early November and by December the 6th, it still hadn't rained. We're growing 15 a day. Dry matter um, was pretty much a green drought. I had to send 80 cows off farm to get milked elsewhere. And I put the rest on once a day. And the jerseys just performed really well. They they dropped to 1.5, but then they, they had that right through March and then April. I can't remember when they started dropping again. And I just started to think with our dry land system and the type of cows we had, uh, the jerseys and the crosses, that um, maybe twice a day system wasn't the best system or I wanted to at least have a look at some alternatives. So that got me thinking. And then I'd used three and two in the autumn or it even started it in uh, late January, early February if lameness was getting bad or condition. And then two years ago, I tried 10 and seven because I'd read a few articles um, in the dairy exporter about it. So yeah, I just trialled that from, I think that was about mid-February, and it worked brilliantly. The cows put on weight. So, you know, we never flipped across the once a day before drying off. We just carried that right through till probably a week out from dry off. And then that got me thinking about trialling it for a year, the the whole season. Mm -hmm. Kind of gave me the confidence, I guess, having used it. We we actually went up in milk when we went to 10 and 7 in February versus twice a day. And the cows just seemed happy and started in months, so you could start to see they were putting on condition again, and that started the process. So, just backtracking a bit, you own two farms down there in Staveley, is that right? Yeah, I, I guess you could say that it's it's more one farm, two sheds. 
got five blocks split up by gravel roads, which has its challenges. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we carve everything through one shed. And then depending on grass between the two farms, we'll start the, at the moment, like we're milking everything just through one shed and the other farms, a hundred less cover. So once that builds up to about even, we'll send 300 cows across here and start that up. And how long have you been there for, John? Uh, this is my fifth season. Okay. Did you grow up in that area? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. the family's been uh, 101 years dairy farming on this place, so pretty right. lucky just to be able to carry that on. Yeah, that's brilliant. Had you always been milking twice a day up until you started trying out three and two and once a day? Yes, we had, yeah. Okay. So what was it? I mean, was it you said you, you heard Paul speak yeah. on it and you read a bit about flexible milking and, and, and exporter. Were those the sort of things that convinced you to give it a go? Yeah, they would have been, yeah, between them. And I did a lot of research on once a day and rang a lot of farmers because after that dry summer, my first thought was, well, maybe once a day, full season. But a lot of people I rang about that were doing it more for lifestyle. They had taken quite a big hit in milk production, and I don't think the costs had made up for it. But they had gained lifestyle 100%. I mean, it was brilliant for that. I didn't really want to give up on milk either if I could want to kind of have my cake and eat it too and 10 and 7 just from all the research and people I talked to articles I'd read I mean there was a lot more information on the 3 and 2 that you could get those cost savings you could get better condition better reproductive gains and also a better lifestyle for the guys the 3 and 2 I didn't think quite gave that whether 10 and 7 we do 10am on a Saturday and 8am on a Sunday you know I cover a lot of the weekends when guys are away and it's you don't feel like you worked. You know, you can go out the night before, catch up with mates, go to bed at 12 and get up at 9 o'clock and be at the shed at 9.30. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's pretty cruisy. And then, yeah, 7 a.m. on the Sunday, you kind of get up. So, you know, if you, if you want to. Was it getting that full weekend break? Was that the thing that was most appealing? That was the difference between, yeah, 3 and 2 and 10 and 7 was I think it really resets the guys, gives them a bit of a break. And it's quite nice having two consistent days, or at least you know they're, they're close to consistent, <laughs> rather than changing all the time. Although no one really found that that bad. I thought that was maybe going to be one of the issues was going from getting up, we cups on at 5.30, you know, getting up at five o'clock or quarter to five if the cows are further away. And then the next day not having to get up till 6.30 or seven, I thought that might be an issue, but no one found it bad at all. Didn't affect anyone's sleep or anything, which was pleasing. That was probably one of my concerns. You've got a team of five, is that right? Uh, correct, yeah. Four yeah. on the dairy farm, and then I've got one runoff manager, I guess you could call them. Did you have a chat with them about it first, and, and did they have any concerns about shifting to 10 and 7? Uh, they all seem pretty, pretty keen on it. You mentioned <laughs> um, four sleep-ins a week and three early yeah. mornings, and um, they don't ask too many more questions. <laughs> no, the guys that were really interested in it, we sat down and went through all the figures and all the information and that I had on it. And they all thought that, especially, you know, we're only producing about 380 a cow. So it kind of seemed like the dryland system, the type of cows that we were, if it was going to work for anyone, it was probably us. So in switching to 10 and 7, can you just talk us through the changes that you made? Like what sort of preparation did you have to do? And then what refinements changes did you actually make as a result? What was involved in making that routine change? We start the season off once a day anyway, which works quite well. So we do the first three weeks once a day, and then we send all those cows to our second shed and start that up. And then we do another three weeks of once a day with ones that have just calved. So no cow does once a day for longer than three weeks. So that takes pressure off calving. 
and then yeah, we had to start having some thoughts before we went to ten to seven on what time we're actually going to pick up calves and how that was going to work with that routine changing every day and we only milk the colostrums once a day so we've got to milk them before the cows which has their risks one day and after the next so yeah we had to sit down and do quite a lot of planning there to figure out how things were going to work and how we could try and keep a bit of consistency through calving didn't see too many issues after calving with how things would work basically the the twice a day day would just follow a, a normal script of milking jobs that had to be done and then milking again and then the guys were starting at about 7am generally uh, on a weekday once a day and they'd quickly just do all the jobs, breaks, feeding out if there's any to be done, effluent, your day-to-day stuff and then they'd have a quick half an hour break, come back in, milk the cows at 10 o'clock and home for lunch and, and out again around one thirty-two. and then some days we'd take that opportunity would have three hours where we could just do maintenance or any projects we had going, which was really nice just to have that three hours free. You didn't have a milking or anything looming over you. That generally cuts into a lot of jobs. You just have to drop tools. Or especially in the weekends, we try to make it that you're basically done for the day. Focusing on an eight-hour workday average, the twice a day always ends up being slightly larger, sometimes closer to a 10, and then would try and make it for the once a day closer to a six. So your team are sort of on average working how many hours? Uh, eight hours, yeah. Well, at the moment at carving, we're probably not over that, but give it another week or so, obviously. We'll blow that out a wee bit over carving, but the rest of the year we are able to stick to that pretty well. Were they actually working more hours beforehand, or is it actually just now that they're working similar hours, but they can spend more time working on jobs on the farm? No, we're working. probably averaging 10-hour days. Even if you're not getting the cows in, you're pretty much on your bike probably probably at five o'clock and home at five o'clock with an hour for breakfast, hour of lunch. So they were pretty solid 10-hour days. So no, I'd say we're close to cut probably the average workday down by two hours. And what kind of feedback have you had from the team in terms of how they're spending that extra time? It works well for some. I had a really good manager last year. He's gone on to manage another farm and hopefully a contract position. He's just really motivated to get things done. And so whenever he had an opportunity to have an afternoon off, he never took it. So his hours didn't drop. (laughs) I kept trying to get him to take that time and actually just enjoy it and have the odd afternoon off. But it's just the way he was wired. And I mean, I can't be angry at someone for wanting to work hard. Um, (laughs) He'd just always be out there doing something for a new project. So his hours didn't, but the rest of the guys bought into a bit more of having the odd afternoon off and relaxing a bit more. So they absolutely loved it. And like I asked them all if any of them would go back to twice a day, and they've all said no. Is um, that right? Yeah. It would be pretty hard losing those weekends once you've had them. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on flexible milking's role in this whole search for a solution to make dairying an attractive career option, you know, at a time where we're trying to get more people into the sector and hold on to them? Do you think flexible milking's got a part to play in that? I think it's got a massive part to play. I mean, I probably should have said that earlier. That was probably my main reason for going alongside i think it could be more profitable as well at least for my system but was to retain staff i mean we all know what the labor market's like now it's so tough you know wages are going up i can't keep up with them to be honest i've just hired a new guy and it felt like everything moved by about ten thousand dollars so you know and competing with the jobs in town i just don't think 10 hour days crack it bad rosters and big hours that farming can be known for I think we've got to find a better way of doing it. And for those guys with similar systems to me, I feel like everyone should be implementing it now because you can just achieve it straight away for 
no loss of income, if not an increase. We've found an increase. So I think, and it's interesting, I'm in a dry land discussion group, and I even had another guy come up to me yesterday and um, ask me a few more questions, and they're going to start using it. And I just advise them to start when they're around 1.8 milk solids, just trial it. People are a bit scared to do the whole year. So I think you better just start it, you know, even just 1st of uh, January, get into it, see how it goes. I think most people find that they won't lose any milk, but will gain condition and other things. Hopefully hold on to more pregnancies, less embryonic loss. And then that gives people confidence to kind of give it a crack. And I think we'll retain more staff and even um, hopefully pull people from uh, other industries because you hear it all the time. It's the hours that people don't like about dairy. You just talk to all your mates in town and they think the hours are mad. <laughs> and then maybe they're right. I've actually heard Paul Edwards talk about this, about that idea of just giving it a trial. I've heard him say that to farmers where it's like, you don't have to commit to it 100%. You can just dip your toe in and give it a go and, and pull back if it's not for you. Although I think what's happened is most people who try it stick to it, eh? Yeah, well, everyone that was part of the trial this year has said that they won't be going back to twice a day. So that's uh, pretty yeah. inclusive, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, John, what are your milking times on those twice a day days? So twice a day are 5.30am and 2.30pm. So we've just stuck to what was a traditional twice a day day. And then 10am, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and 8am on the Sunday. Yeah, that's great. Hey, so I don't know what sort of numbers you've got to hand or if you just know them off the top of your head, but I was really interested in, in just drilling into some of those, some of the results you've seen. So yep. we've talked quite a bit about, I suppose, the staff well-being side of it, but what about animal health, production, repro, revenue, anything else that you want to talk about? Yeah, definitely. I guess lameness was the first big one that we saw. Everyone else in the dryland discussion group last, I think it was around December, we're starting in similar size, 1,800 cow herds. We're seeing seven, eight lame cows a day, and we were seeing one to two. And that was annoying me, and I thought that was bad until I talked to everyone else. It, was, it just got really wet, and everyone was having a lot of troubles. So straight away, lameness was cut by a huge amount. You know, I mean, that would say over 50%. And I think you talk to a lot of people, and they'll say that. Even though you're only milking 33% less, it's usually... They're less stressed in everything else. I mean, that stress and having more time to socialise and feed and stuff, a huge lot of lameness does just come down to that kind of stress. So that was a big one. I mean, it's a huge job if you're getting seven or eight a day. That's one guy tied up for all his free time in between milkings. Milk production, I think we did one milk solid more than last year per cow. Um, (laughs) So we we didn't drop any when we, we didn't gain any. To be fair, we we had a little acidosis incident on the uh, beat right at the end of the year. Well, it was unfortunately in April, so they knocked them from about 1.3 down to 0.9 and dried quite a few cows off. So we were on track to have done 10 milk solids more a cow. I don't think you can say you're going to get more milk out of the system, but I don't think it's going to take any off you from what I've seen and who I've talked to. And again, that depends on how, how many milk solids your cows do. I think if you're around that 400, 380 bracket, you wouldn't see much of a change. Uh, reproduction was brilliant. We went from a six-week and calf rate of 65% to 74%. So we had a 9% wow. increase wow. in six-week and calf rate, which was huge. Empty rate dropped by 2%, plus I cut a week off mating. So I shortened it by a week. So it could have been 4% better, 3.5% better. 
where do we finish up on farm working? Since winter's disappeared, I, I usually sit down and uh, nail all my figures down. I haven't <laughs> felt like I haven't had a chance with the flooding and everything else. Yeah. We ended up with about the same cost structure. I'd have it up there somewhere, but I haven't reviewed it well enough yet. But it was um, about $4.2 a kg of milk solid. Mm. And I think with costs of everything going up, if you can hold, that, that's a pretty big win. And, and also with the mating thing is uh, we've done 10 to 15% cedars every year. I cut them out that mating, so we got that nine percent with no yeah. intervention, yeah, uh, as well as a nine percent gain. If I'd have stayed the same without intervention, I probably would have called that a win. But to have gone up by so much was unbelievable. To be what, fair, what, what do you put that down to, John? They're just in better condition, and they're way less stressed. Like that's a very hard thing to prove <laughs> or show. But you'd go into the paddock and you'd bring the cows in, and there'd be eight-year-old cows kicking their back legs out playing with other cows people will notice when they put the cows on once a day they do seem to play a lot more they were like that they just seemed happier and more relaxed and you know i've heard a few people speak on the fact that in a twice a day system there's like 28 hours of things cows need to do by the time the time they spend on the yard and in the shed there's about four hours that they just simply can't do be eating socializing drinking sleeping because yeah. we have them on the yards on concrete and lanes for too long. I mean, they've proven the stress causes the lameness and also can cause that embryonic loss. And if they're losing condition, obviously, they, you know, the first thing they do is reabsorb. So I think that was a big part of it. One, they were in better condition pre-mating, not having that twice-a-day stress on them. The once at the start obviously helps us a bit as well. And then I think we had less embryonic loss as well, probably. Again, and you can't quite nail down what it was, but... um. The cows dried off in the best condition they've ever been in. So, yeah, if you're going to try and put your finger on one thing, I think it's just condition. And they just look better throughout the season. Like it's brilliant just going out in the paddock and just every cow is kind of at target. So good. Wait through the season, yeah. It must be incredibly satisfying for you. Oh, it is, yeah. And especially like everyone's proud of their cows, but, I mean, we've been farming these jerseys for years. I say 101 years, so bit of a legacy for me and to go out there and see them looking so good makes me pretty proud and a lot of family drive by and always looking over the fence and you know getting nice comments from them about them and stuff neighbors is uh yeah it's pretty cool uh, that's really cool john i was just wondering any savings with costs i was just thinking like maybe power might be down a bit because you're milkingly soft in and, and things like that power evens out a wee bit just because those milkings are slightly longer those 19 hour gaps it was slightly less we saw a drop in petrol 33 percent less time the guys were on the motorbikes bringing cows in weren't too many other major costs that we saw but i think it's probably more the gains for every extra one percent of cows that are calving in that first six weeks i think it adds up to about forty thousand or something of extra milk production and cedars was probably i think it was about twelve thousand savings just there not not needing cedars and a huge way less workload there's a couple of big days there when you're doing cedars, drafting everything up, organising everything. I was reading how you're one of the pilot farms and, and there's your page on the DRNZ website. I was reading the February 1st update from this year and there was a quote on there from you that you said, I also feel that it is allowing me to step back and be in the role of owner-operator focusing on the bigger picture, strategic decisions in farm business, rather than being continuously pulled into the operational and day-to-day tasks. So as well as benefiting your staff it's actually allowed you to be able to work more on the business is that right 
Oh, 100%, yeah. It's the fact that we had that free time in the afternoon where they'll be in the shed. So I'm pretty much in the shed through spring and, well, the whole way through calving, but then mating only in the mornings to pick cows. But then when they'd be in the shed in the afternoon, I'd be out maybe setting breaks or doing something that hadn't got done or doing some maintenance, whereas now they've got the freedom to do that stuff in the afternoons, four days out of the week. It was huge how much spare time I had. It's amazing how quickly you fill that time. It doesn't stay spare for long. Um, <laughs> but no, that, that was brilliant, and that was something I've been trying to work on myself. I kind of struggled with that. I really enjoy being out there hands-on the whole time. That's why I love carving, because bookwork goes out the window and I'm just on the farm every day. But, um, you know, that's not necessarily the best thing for the business either. Yeah, so to be able to step back and uh, look at some options of like maybe getting another runoff and farm systems, tweaking things, how we can make it better. Genetics, just yeah, as you say, the, the big picture was brilliant having that time. And because as I stepped back more, my managers actually stepped up more as well. And that was quite important too. Otherwise, I'm kind of there and too hands-on, probably giving too many directions, need to let them actually They'll kind of trainee managers, you might call them, let them actually really step up into roles and run the day-to-day. And I think they actually really appreciated that too. So it gave me a uh, opportunity to grow and, and for them to grow too. What about getting off the farm, John? Have you got sort of off-farm interests that you've been able to pursue a bit more? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, No, I'm pretty good at getting off the farm actually for a farmer. <laughs> I don't go anywhere carving pretty much here every day and same with mating. But no, come the new year. I'm uh, free diving for January, February, and then I'm hunting all March, April, and then nice to May. <laughs> not not all of it. I wish it was all of it. Yeah, I've got a lot of mates that hunt and dive. Yeah, I make sure I kind of I've got my annual couple of different annual dive trips I do every year and stag tar trips and stuff. That yeah, same groups we always do. So that's one thing I've actually been good with at making sure I have that time off because I'd kind of seen far too many farmers that don't do that and don't make time for it. And when I looked at buying the farm four years ago, that was a big thing for me that I talked through with the family as, um, you know, something I really wanted to do, but I didn't want to lose that freedom to get out at that time of year when things are quieter on the farm and enjoy life. But it's got easier to get away. I used to still do it, but it was a bit more stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going away for a week at a time out of sales service. It definitely felt a lot easier getting away last year. And I suppose with you giving your managers more opportunity to step up and do their job, it takes the pressure off you so you know you can actually leave things in their hands and, and take a break, eh? Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. And you don't have to organise so much before you leave. I used to not like leaving because you had to organise so much and make sure you planned everything out where... Uh, yeah, as you say, once you've handed it over to them, they're already doing it. Have a quick word, make sure they're all happy and uh, hit the hills. John, it's uh, so cool chatting to you about it. Just to finish up, I wondered for anyone out there who might be interested in flexible milking, whether it's three and two or once a day or 10 and seven or variations between, what advice would you have for them or what would you say to, to them, especially anybody who might be a bit hesitant about it? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, like just give it a go. You know, if you're really hesitant about it, you can trial it when you normally go once a day. Like, just do a really small trial. If you've read a lot of the articles and you think it looks good, I'd um, be definitely advising people to start it earlier. I wouldn't go full season straight off the bat, but first of January, you know, they tend to talk about that 1.8 milk solids a lot as well. I'll be trialling it there. And, and then I think guys that are dry land systems doing similar milk will hopefully 
give it a half-year trial and then trial it the whole year because I think they'll find that they'll do about the same amount of milk but between your repro and lameness. Your cost will drop or your profit will increase because of that. And then I don't think it will ever be fully developed down on the plains, you know, when you've got big cows milking 500, 550. But again, I think we can have a better uptake of people doing it at that 1.8 level. And I know guys that have done that. Any advice? Oh, is anyone doing 16 hours? Don't do it. Do the three and two. I think so many people have trialled that now that you don't have to be milking at eight o'clock at night. You talk about three and two and people say, oh no, that's 16 hours. I hate it. You know, that really annoys me. Like three and two is completely different than 16 hours. A lot of people in the trial this year did 5.30 and some did kind of four o'clock and then 9am or whatever it was the next day. And then I think people just keep taking their afternoon milking slightly earlier to see if it uh, made any difference. And I think they found it made absolutely no difference. And I think Paul's mentioned that there's going to be hopefully some research coming out on the science behind that. It's not the time between milkings, but the frequencies. It's just having those two milkings in one day that replenish the milk cells. That's the only important part. So give it a go. Ring people that you know that are doing it. Listen to this. Read the articles that are out there. Look at the trial work. And, uh, yeah, good luck. That's awesome, John. Hey, thanks so much for your time, man. It's awesome chatting to you. No, no worries at all, mate. Nice meeting you, Ben. Thanks for tuning into Talking Dairy. If you'd like to explore where the flexible milking could work on your farm, go to the DairyNZ website and search for flexible milking. You'll find information about different intervals, you can see webinars with farmers, and there are answers to frequently asked questions. You can also see the results of DairyNZ's research into flexible milking. Catch you next time.